Here is our counterpoint panel tonight. We have Bill Hutchinson, former reporter, anchor, broadcaster, longtime journalist, professor at Seneca. Bill, how are you? I'm very well, Arlene. How are you? Hey, I'm good. As best as can be expected is my uh, line these days as we watch Mm -hmm. all this horror around the world. Uh, John Mraz, former liberal war room director. John, welcome. Hello, Arlene. How are you? Again, I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. I'll start with you, John, as we'll begin with the elephant in the room. And it was the second extraordinary address in our neighborhood anyway, yesterday in Canada and today to Congress, President Zelensky asking for more. We're already seeing almost a billion dollars of new weapons and aid coming from the President of the United States how do you think it changed things as you listened there? And again, that evoking 9-11, leader of the free world, bringing it right home to Americans. Well, first of all, I mean, it's not the elephant in the room. It's the bear on our doorstep, mm-hmm. which I believe is a symbol of uh, the Russian Federation and the Soviet Union and the czars before that. I think Biden is in a very difficult position. I'm somewhat terrified I don't know where the trip cord is uh, for the U.S. and its allies and sympathizers of Ukrainians around the world when it comes to dispensing arms and support to Ukraine. Ukrainians have surprised the world in their fight, and I don't think we should have been surprised. They are sick of being under the bear's paw. Uh, one of the reasons that Biden may not be handing over jets may have nothing to do with the actual jets themselves. It may simply be the jets like that need an immense amount of technical support and they need pilots who can fly them. And there is some question as to whether the Ukrainians actually possess either, which means that Putin would then know that uh, it was the U.S. or its allies in Europe that were supporting that, which means there would be foreign fighters and support groups in Ukraine fighting. Uh, I am encouraged and also terrified that the negotiations that continue between Ukraine and Russia, while they seem to be moving in a positive direction, uh, Putin is demanding that Ukraine permanently remain a neutral country, which is to say never an ally of the West, never a member of NATO, and certainly not an integrated member of the EU. That is something that he has absolutely no right to demand. And if we concede that to him after what he's done, the terrorist Putin, then it gives him license to continue on his merry way through all of the post-Soviet republics, whether they be in the Caucasus or uh, far to the east or Worse yet, uh, the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Poland, Romania, Bulgaria, all whom have a living memory of being under the hobnailed boots of fascists like Putin. All right. Wow. Bill, how are you feeling after we watch Zelensky in the United States? I just want to throw one aspect at you, too, just to add. I mean, watching America, we always talk about them. They are just so polarized and seeing the effect on America, too. And here we have this Ukrainian president reminding almost America who they were. Yeah, I think that Zelensky is doing a, a great job in terms of the war of, of 
public relations, if you want to call it that, or, or communications at least. He has got the West on his side. But in terms of moving the needle uh, to get a no-fly zone, that hasn't changed at all. In terms of, of getting the Americans willing to, to put boots on the ground in Ukraine, that has not changed. That is not going to change. The West is not going to do that. I think what Biden has done today in terms of, of, of sending Stinger and Javelin uh, service air missiles uh, to, to Ukraine is a good move. I think sending TV2 drones uh, to Ukraine is a good move. It's the sort of thing that you can do. You can smuggle those in. You can get those into Ukraine. They, the surface air missiles like Stingers and Javelins were very effective in the arms of the Mujahideen against the Soviets in Afghanistan. Of course, the Mujahideen became a big problem down the road, but that's another for another day. Um, that sort of thing is what Biden can do, what the West can do. They can provide those sort of uh, that kind of equipment and, and without escalating at this point. As to the uh, the MiG-29 uh, fighter jets, those are Soviet era, era jets, and the the Ukrainian pilots do know how to fly those, and they do have maintenance crews for those. So it's possible. I mean, Biden has said no, he's not going to do that, but it's possible they they could move them to 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 the border and let the Ukrainian forces tow them over the border. So technically, they haven't actually given them to them. There's ways around that um, because obviously they're not they don't have enough fighter jets right now uh, to, to do much in terms of the air, uh, the air assault from, from, the, from the Russians. You know, John, as, as we look at this and we're all trying to figure it out, it is amazing. I was just listening to Bailey's going, perhaps, perhaps, and we're seeing this. I mean, it is really an unreal situation where you see Zelensky push. And earlier on, we talked to a former a liaison with NATO for Ukraine that was hoping there could be, if there is an agreement, that there would be this international protection of Ukraine and, and EU countries and could come together in a new way. You know, we stall here and there. Everything is not possible. Everything is partisan. We have a little moment, a, a little door that is open here where we're watching the world think outside the box, John. I, I, I mean, this is such a complicated problem. I mean, uh, the Russians depend on the warm water port down at Sevastopol near Crimea, well, in Crimea and Krim, um, uh, for their fleet and the instability to truck through the Bosphorus states. So they're not about to ever concede the rest of Ukraine, which they've sort of got to get through uh, to feed that port and to secure that port, um, they're not going to concede it to the West. Ukraine is in an unfortunate position. Every day that I wake up, I am just, it's surreal. I am just amazed that we didn't notice or we didn't seem to care uh, as Putin amassed 100,000 troops and enough hardware um, to do the Nazis proud uh, and in the name of military exercises on the circumference of the Ukrainian state. Uh, this was an epic and massive failure uh, by the West. We could have pushed those sanctions uh, through months ago and sent Vladimir Putin a stark warning. And instead, we played checkers with a man 
who now with China and possibly with some support from India is playing chess with us. And I'm disappointed. I know everybody thinks or seems to think that Biden and his European counterparts are doing very well. I would argue they are doing miserably. If you look at carnage and the carpet bombing of civilians in Ukraine, and um, there is absolutely no excuse um, for our not having gotten in front of this earlier. And we don't seem to have a solution now. Putin needs an exit where he looks like he has succeeded. And I don't, and nobody I know who's a real expert in this, I, well, I've spent years in Ukraine working on democratization. I'm certainly no military expert. Um, no one seems to know what the end game is here because no one seems to understand what Vladimir Putin is in, in fact capable of doing. Another massive intelligence failure. Mm-hmm. It is. I, I just want to, before we go to break, throw it back to Bill and pick up exactly what you're saying here. Bill, don't we have to expand this? I, you know, here in Canada, we have been focused on China. Often I ask the question, well, what about Russia? And we have noticed not just the buildup where the troops were there. This has been going on longer than this, trying to weaken NATO for years and years. And and tick, 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 the normalization of Vladimir Putin and, and the cracks in NATO. At least now there is some strengthening in NATO. John is correct. This is a long time coming. I would argue it is even longer than when the buildup happened on the border bill. Oh, absolutely. It's been a long time coming. And and when I said what Biden did today was the right thing, that doesn't excuse what Biden didn't do before this uh, war erupted. And at the same time, we see what's happening with China threatening Taiwan all the time. So, you know, is that going to happen right after this? Uh, If if China sees that that Putin gets away with this, then does China move on, on the territories it wants? So, I mean, there's a lot of things that the West has to wake up and and realize at this point, yeah, they should have been doing something much sooner to, to try and uh, make Putin think twice about, about the invasion. The West didn't do anything. If there's anything that's happened now, at least NATO is more together, and, and the leaders will meet next week in Brussels, and we'll see what comes out of that. Um, hopefully, there's some strength coming out of NATO at that point. And John, I'll throw this to you. It is election season. It's not just spring. <laughs> when there's signs of spring, there's signs of an election. We've got new plants opening and Premier Doug Ford cutting those ribbons. What kind of energy you think is is heading into this election as it begins now? Our minds, look at what we've been talking about. Our minds are on other things. And there's almost been this reset and we're focused on world and democracy and all those things. Is that going to help this election for the premier or is that going to take things away? I have no idea is the honest answer insofar as after two years and more of COVID-19 and now the world sitting on the brink of a global war, Uh, add that to the terrific indices that the Globe and Mail published on the price of food going up, all politics being local, that actually matters. I'm not sure that cutting ribbons uh, and announcing openings of jobs will punch through what is a very crowded media market. I do know that lots of working families out there cannot afford to eat, drink, and do what they used to. 
because of COVID-19 and now because of the hyperinflation that's further aggravated by, as I say, this global conflict. So one of the facts uh, of the matter is that Doug Ford really has no say over the price of gas, food, hydro, pretty much anything, and he can make all the announcements he wants. But if people go to the grocery store and can't get what they're used to eating and drinking, it will be to no avail, and he will be blamed. Bill, we've got some polling, 37% for Premier Ford, but is he worried about it, do you think, Bill? Well, I'm sure he's not happy about it. Uh, He's down four points, but I don't think he's necessarily worried. Uh, I think that 37% is still a a majority government Mm. in in our parliament. But also, when I look at his his opponents, Andrew Horvath has shown she can't win an election. Uh, I don't think Stephen Del Duca, because he's got the Win McGinty baggage uh, attached to him, I don't think that he's necessarily going to be that strong a challenger. Now, politics being politics, a week in politics is, you know, is a lifetime. As John well knows, things can change. But at this point, I think that, that Ford is fairly solid. Uh, he may have a reduced majority, but I think, I think that he will get reelected. I think that as we come out of the COVID restrictions, uh, yes, the cost of living is going up, but realistically, do people blame the provincial government for that? The provincial government uh, has a budget coming out. I'm sure there'll be some things in there that will try and ease the cost of living for some people, maybe easing some gas taxes. But uh, I don't think they necessarily blame uh, Doug Ford for gas ta- gas taxes being too high. We know where that's coming from, uh, and it's from Ottawa. Um, I don't think I don't think you've got uh, the appetite in this province to to vote out uh, um, Ford at this point. I think I think he's going to be fairly secure. They made some big announcements. They announced a new uh, school of medicine, Ryerson School of Medicine, yesterday. Uh, they have announced two hundred million dollars in creating more nursing uh, uh, positions uh, in in, uh, in colleges and, uh, across the, the province. You know, there are some things that they have done, and, and if they trumpet those during the election, then people will say, wait a second, they are doing some of the right things. Uh, the investment in, in Alliston, in the uh, electric vehicles plant for, for Honda, again, that sort of thing uh, will cut through to some extent, at least locally, they'll, they'll know about it, and, and that will help. A final quick question to both of you. And considering, I mean, we've got election time in Ontario, we've got the conservative leadership race, and we have this, as we say, this world war. It's changed so much. And I've been in and out of this um, for almost every day, and it always grows more in importance. And you kind of touched on it already, John. How is this going to change Canadians' views to all these things? I'm not sure. It's probably my fault. I entirely uh, understand the question. I I do hope that Canadians are starting to think about the fact that we live in a global village and that whom they elect to Ottawa now matters very much as um, global alliances shift and change. Uh, Most Canadians might not be aware that China and Russia have for centuries been enemies mistrustful at best, but real enemies. There's a reason there's a wall of China, a great wall of China. And if you put those two empires together, 
and then you add rumors of Indian support for that empire, we are living in a brave new world when I use that reference very deliberately. And I'm hoping that Canadians are starting to think in larger terms about how we want to be and who we are on a global stage and, and at the local level. Do we want to trade with China anymore? Do we want to depend on them? Or are we prepared to suck it up and move to local economies that leave us non-dependent on the tyrants and despots of this world? Um, are we prepared to pay the real cost for a cell phone? Uh, or are we prepared to continue to depend on the slave labor that China affords us and the commensurate price that comes to us through our local telephone store. These are the questions I'm hoping people are asking themselves. And I think they are. I think Canadians are thoughtful yeah. and decent. I do. I mean, you hear people talking. There has been, this has reminded people of something many people haven't known in their lifetime. Bill, what do you say? Finally, we have all these other decisions coming up, but this has got to temper it. It's got to temper the messaging. It was all about how we get out of COVID, and I'm sure lots of politicians had that all planned, and we're listening. However, we're also have one eye on other things that are happening. And we're wondering probably for the first time for so many people about safety and national security and democracy, Bill. I wish I were as optimistic <laughs> as John, that this is going to change uh, society, that people are going to, some people absolutely will, and they will ask questions, but the public seems to have a very short memory when it comes to certain things. And what seems like it's so urgent right now Believe it or not, in six months' time, if if there's a peace agreement and Russia pulls back from Ukraine, mm -hmm. in six months' time, will people still be talking about it the way they are today? I, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, I hate to be cynical, but um, elections in this country are decided on the most ridiculous issues sometimes, um, and and it's sad. Uh, I, I hope people will ask some important questions, like why are we. Uh, continuing to import billions of dollars worth of oil uh, to this country when we have the third biggest reserve of oil in the world. You know, why are we spending that kind of money outside the country? These are sort of the questions that should be asked. I don't know that they will actually ever be answered. All right. Here, here, Bill Hutchison, a former reporter, anchor, broadcaster, longtime journalist, professor at Seneca. Thank you, Bill. And thank you, John Moraz, former liberal warm room director. Have a great night, guys. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Thank you. All right. We are going to take a break. Off point. Off pudding. I'm Arlene Bonnie. And in for Alex Pearson tonight. Don't go away. We have lots more here. This is On Point.